uh, we're going to pray and ask the Lord to bless America and pray, and we're going to pray together. And so uh, uh, I want to let the kids get their word of the Lord in. Good group of kids, by the way, going back there. Thank you so much. Uh, turn into your Bible into Psalm 91, and we're going to pray together. And I want us to pray, number one, our missionaries, many of them have been going through it. Uh, number one, uh, Linda Threadgill, Jay and Linda have been going through it ever since I've known them, but she has a heart issue and she was in the States and, uh, at a ladies retreat and had a mild heart attack. Uh, and so she's headed back to Jay right now, uh, in Florida. And, uh, so they need our prayers. And then, um, um, Annie Dryden, our Thailand missionaries, she uh, was diagnosed with uh, breast cancer, and uh, she had, did she have a, just a lumpectomy? She had a lumpectomy, and the test came back really good, and she may have to go through what, maybe radiation. So they want our prayers. Uh, and then my dear friend David Hatley in Africa, both of he and his wife have gone through cancer issues. His has returned, and he's in the hospital right now. I can't describe the kind of therapy or things he's going to have to go through, but he needs a touch from God. So today we're going to pray for, the, for them, and then we're going to pray for uh, our, our families, our nation, our church, our community. We're going to stand in the gap, and then if we have time, I'm going to preach a faith-filled message for you from the last from last-minute lessons from the life of Christ during his last week. So are you in Psalm 91? Here we go. I'm going to read this and let it build our faith, a portion of it. Here we go. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will trust. Surely He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night. Somebody say amen. amen. Nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pest <coughs> pardon me, the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. Somebody say amen. He said, You shall not be. Everybody say, I shall not be. He said, a thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. I'm going to read that again, see if there's anybody else has an amen in them. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young, young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble and deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Come on, give him praise. For you that may be watching live this morning, that's Psalm 91. That's the word of the Lord for us today. And where do we lean into today in times of question marks and insecurities of life? We lean, we lean into the Word and the will of God. What does God say about where we are today as a nation? And I want to tell you what God says. He said, fear not. Don't try. He said, if you'll just dwell in the right place. Listen, don't go to the wrong place. Don't go to the place of fear and doubt. Go to the place of security, the, the place of pr uh, protection and provision. And that's calling upon the name of the Lord in faith today. So I want us today to stand together and let's just lean into the word of God and lean into the place of prayer one more time this morning. Father, today we come together. 
We stand together in you, Lord. We stand together in faith. Lord, I reach out in faith with those watching this morning. And Lord, we declare faith over our families, over every area of our life. Lord, we declare, Lord God, your kingdom coming, your will being done in our churches, in our schools, in our communities, in our state, in our nation, and around the world, Lord. And we know, Lord, you are Lord over, over all pestilence and problem. And, and Lord, we release the word of the Lord over this nation and over our missionaries, Lord. We lift up David Hatley to you. Lord, he needs a miracle. Lord, clear his body of cancer, Lord. Lord God, Annie Dryden needs a miracle. Clean and clear her body of any cancer, oh Lord. Father, I pray for uh, Linda Threadgill. Heal her heart. Make her whole both physically and spiritually and emotionally. Lord, she still grieves the loss of her, her son. And we pray, God, you would heal her and help her and raise her up. And Lord, God, we thank you, Lord, that you've called us now, Lord, even in these question mark times to be a light to the world. Lord God, and I pray our lights would shine. Lord God, so bright and we would not yield to the fear of man. We would not yield to the fear of the devil. We would not allow the enemy to come in and undermine the will of God for our lives and our families and our futures. We thank you for it today. And Lord, we speak over, Lord God, this this issue, Lord, that our nation is and nations of the world are is we rebuke this coronavirus in the name of Jesus. We speak death over it. Lord, Lord God, we just curse it in the name of the Lord. May it die today in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. And we thank you for the promise of this hedge of protection over our lives, our families, our finances. In every area of our lives, in Jesus' name. Everybody say, in Jesus' name. Come on, give the Lord some praise today, in Jesus' name. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. I sense the power of God, the, the, the promise of God upon our lives today. Amen. Woo! Everybody say, the Lord is good. Amen. Good to see you today. God bless you. Turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11 uh, is a keynote verse for us, a passage of scripture. As you see today, we, we're beginning, you know, Easter Sunday, you know, I was thinking, I was just rebuking the devil. I, I, you know, how, did you know Easter Sunday is, one of the, is probably the highest attended church service uh, of the year? People are born again. God is glorified. It's just, you know, it's kind of like a, it's a highlight for the church. And so uh, I just don't want the devil to take over Resurrection Sunday. Amen. So let's stay in faith. It's an interesting time because normally uh, we feel comfortable inviting people to church. I have to be honest with you today. I don't know if I feel comfortable inviting people to church, not because I fear, you know, that uh, they'll put themselves at jeopardy being here. If I thought that was the case, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't let my grandkids be here. I wouldn't let my son-in-law and my daughters be here. I feel per perfectly fine. But, but you know, uh, you, you feel some people don't feel comfortable in that environment. And I understand that. So, so it, it, I was just thinking it's kind of an odd time when normally you want to invite people to church. Uh, but, the, but you know, we still can. We can say, listen, if you feel comfortable, we'd love to have you. Had a great day Sunday. And let me just say that. I feel comfortable enough. You say, but what if something happens? I don't live by the what ifs. I live by the word of the Lord. Come on now. Somebody say amen. What does God say? And I believe this is the church's finest hour. We've got the doctor in the house. We don't want to be stupid or, or narrow-minded. She's here today. She probably, if she got close, she gave you a fist bump. Uh, uh, but she did put six foot between her and everybody else. I can tell that. So, hey, you, it's be wise, be smart, but let's be people of faith too. Amen. And so we're back into the, I, I want to move through this to on resurrection day. And I'm believing God that on resurrection Sunday, this place will be packed. Okay. With people who need God, who hadn't been to church in a while, you know, maybe it's reverse, you know, uh, maybe it, it, I don't know if this works or not. No, you can't come to church. What's that, reverse psychology? I don't know if that would work or not. You can't come to church. And people, by golly, I will too. Don't tell me I can't go to church. 
Uh, you never know. Uh, so with that in mind, are you in Mark? If you're in Mark 11, say, I am. I'm in Mark. I got it. Say amen. amen. So we're look, I want to encourage you to, even now, even though we started last Sunday, began reading through the last week of the life of Christ and began to absorb uh, the word of the Lord and, and apply it in your life. And, and notice when you're reading, who's he talking to? Just kind of think through that. Who's he speaking to? Because there are times he's just talking to his disciples. He's giving them last-minute lessons from the, in the last week of his life. Then there are times he's talked to the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, you know, there's a whole lot in Matthew. Oh, woe, woe to the scribes and the Pharisees. And so, so those are lessons for all of us. But we're focusing on when he turns to his disciples and he's just speaking to them and giving them last-minute lessons about their lives and their futures because he, he knows he's fixing it. He's about to depart them. And they are, though not on their own, his, he will not be there in bodily form. So that's the focus. Last week we focused, and OMG, if you missed last week, I want you to get online, go to face, our Facebook page and watch last Sunday. We talked about the life lesson, the last minute lesson of faithful forever friendships. Don't, don't miss that. If you missed it, you don't have to miss it. We looked at Jesus in the last week of his life. He began li- abiding with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, his close friends that he loved. He drew from his friendships with those as he moved into the last week of his life and he modeled it for his disciples. And let me just say, in these last days, you don't want to be without friendships. You don't want to, you don't want to not have lifelongers. I, I have lifelong family friendships. In fact, this next week, I'm spending a whole week with a friend that has been our family friend for years. Mike and Terry Lynn Weaver, uh, they were the first ones to, to steal my son away into full-time ministry. Uh, and, uh, and he went traveling with them, broke our hearts. We forgave them. They live in Tennessee. Uh, Terry Lynn is a state representative in Tennessee, and Mike has been, and so he just turned 70, and his, uh, his wife texted me the other day and said, for, for uh, uh, Mike's birthday, will you take him fishing? I said, let me pray about that. <laughs> and so I'm going to spend the week with a good friend, okay, a lifer. And so there's, I have lifers all over, David and Jennifer Hatley, they're, in Africa, they're lifers. And so we need those kind of friendships in our life. And that was last week, the lesson of faithful forever friendships. So very important. He modeled that. Jesus modeled that for his disciples. And, and so lesson number two today, on, and it comes from day two of, of the last week of the life of Christ. We're going to talk about two lessons from the unfruitful and cursed fig tree. Jesus, as you know, Jesus, when, when he came into town in the triumphal entry, and, and if you, and if you're in Mark 11, it's the first verse, he came into town, and we know that he cleansed the temple. You read, if you read all the different gospels about this experience, you'll get the totality of, of what God wanted us to understand about the last week of the life of Christ. He, (coughs) he cleansed the temple, and then, he, 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 he said, we're going back to our faithful friend's house. And so they go back out the gate, up the hill to Bethany and hung out with uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And then on the second day, they came back and he cursed the fig tree. Okay. And so with that in mind, we're going to read it in Mark 11, verse 12. Are you with me? Say amen. It says this, on the next day, when they came out from Bethany, he was hungry and seeing from afar off a fig tree having leaves, he went to see perhaps if he would find something on it. We learned last week that the fig tree is very nutritious. It has a lot of symbolic meaning, a lot of spiritual meaning, but it's very nutritious. So it seems that this is just a happenstance moment, but how many of you know when it comes to Jesus and the word of the Lord, nothing's happenstance. This is not just a just a, a, a casual uh, occurrence here. And so he goes to it. He could find nothing on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing. Thank you. He found nothing but leaves for it was not the season for figs. And so bless the tree's heart. He, it's just not ready yet. And in response, Jesus said to it, no one will eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. Okay. And so, uh, 
Well, and then uh, I got my little timetable. Then he cleanses in this gospel. He cleanses the temple, drove out the money changers, and he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of thieves. And then verse 20, now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree. Okay, just chronologically, he cursed it the first day, cleansed the temple, and now's the second day. Are you with me? Say amen. Here we go. Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the what? How many of you know you got to get to the root of the problem? Okay. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. Everybody stop right there uh, and look up at me and say, amen. So with that in mind, here's two lessons. The first one I'm just going to hit on. Okay. And so you can find these two, uh, this account in Matthew 21 and here in Mark 11. We're going to focus on Mark 11. The first lesson that these disciples learned about the, the cursing of the unfruitful fig tree is the curse of a fruitless folk, I'll call it. Now, understand something about the fig tree. We learned this last week, but I'll reaffirm it. The fig tree in Scripture, parabolically and symbolically, speaks of Israel. In fact, Jesus made a, he spoke a prophetic parable. He said, when you look at the fig tree and you see it began to blossom, and most people believe, uh, he said, know that I'm nigh at the door. Most people believe that that's, that's a prophecy concerning the, the Israel and them becoming a nation again in 1948. Uh, <clears throat> and so, so when you look through Scripture, and this is very, I mean, this is not, this is plain as day as you study this, that Israel is looked at as either a fruitful or unfruitful vine. And so it's, when, when Jesus cursed the fig tree, he was saying something. And he was talking about what he had just experienced the day before when he came into town and he cleansed the temple because Israel, the Jews, had become an unfruitful vine. He said, you've turned my house of prayer into a den of thieves. How many of you know these things are linked up right here? And so, so here he curses this fig tree, and, I, and, and, the, and, and the disciples knew the parabolic, if you will, and the symbolic nature of the fig. This was not just some old fruit at the grocery store. This was, this was a way of life. Uh, in fact, they, they knew that if you had a fig tree shadowing your house, you were living under the blessing and the favor of God. And so they, they knew the symbolism and the, and the biblical uh, equation that they, that they had lived with concerning Israel and the fig tree. And Jesus curses it. And he's telling his disciples, listen, an unproductive people live under the curse. And how many of you know Jesus knew that they were about to be a productive people? And he was teaching them the necessity and the vital necessity of, of not going the way that the, uh, that, that the Jews, the scribes and the Pharisees had gone and, and turning God's plan and God's house and God's will into, into something of the flesh, into a den of thieves. And so, what can we take away from it? Point at those Jews. No. Oh, God, don't let me be an unproductive, religious, unfruitful believer. I don't want to live under the curse. I want to live under the favor of God in my life. Could, could, I get a, could you get a better amen? And so, that's just lesson one. I just wanted you to... I, I wanted you to uh, know that because it certainly uh, it certainly uh, feathers in to then what he says to them after they began to realize he's cursed this fig tree he's and he hey from the root it died from the root he said listen you're no good to the core if you're living in un- how many of you not bearing fruit in fact did you know in Jesus' day and in biblical times if a woman was barren she was considered cursed. And so those two things go hand in hand. And so these disciples, their little lights were coming on. Even in the face of the reality, though they knew not, that they were about to deny him and flee from him. 
Jesus knew the future and he knew their plan, his plan. He knew they were about to become a fruitful vine. And so with that in mind, he turns to them, even in, you know, within hours of their denial and departure from them, he turns to them and begins to say this in verse 22, which leads us to the, the next lesson, the last minute lesson from the life of Christ. He turns to them and says, have faith in God. Even though this house that we walk, we tour, <coughs> where the house of God had been turned into a den of thieves, don't fear, don't fret, don't flee. Everybody say, have faith in God. Turn around and tell somebody, have faith in God. Have faith in God. If you're watching today live, have faith in God today. And he says, for assuredly, I say to you, let me stop, say some people are afraid of this verse. Because it so rocks our world. Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things that he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. I'll say amen, amen. Therefore I say to you, now he's, he's, he's linking it back up. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask for when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. What did the religious folk do? They had turned the house of prayer into a den of thieves. And I, hey, put them, link them together. Let's let the stars align. Jesus was saying, hey, you can't be unproductive. I can tell you how you can be productive. I can tell you how you got to live your life. You got to have faith in God and build within your ecosystem of your family, your friends, and, and, and your nation and world an atmosphere of faith-filled prayer. Amen. That's what he was trying to get across to his disciples. Now, up to this point, let's just look back quickly. Up to this point, the disciples had leaned into the faith-filled prayer life of Jesus. How many of you appreciate other people's prayers? Most of us spend more time saying, please pray for me, than praying. Something goes wrong. Oh, we need to get people to pray for us. You know, Jesus, you know, a lot of his prayers, he went out by himself. In fact, Mark 130, I'm going to, I'm going to, are you, are you ready to go through some things real quick? I'm building a foundation. Then we'll come back to Mark 11. We'll come back to the last week of the life of Christ. Mark 135, it says he went out and departed to a solitary place and, <clears throat> and there he prayed. Luke chapter, I just got to do this. I, you know, I feel under the gun because it's 1128. I'm just going to do it. Everybody say, hey, hey, just go for it. Somebody just say, go for it, preacher. Help me out. Get me off the hook. Go for it, preacher. Here we go. Let me just go through this real quick. Luke 5, 16. Luke, he, he gives account of the prayer life of Jesus more than any other disciples. He was a very uh, uh, observant uh, uh, person. And so it's, it says in Luke chapter uh, 5, verse 16, it says, So he himself, speaking of Jesus, often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. And then in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, he says this, uh, (coughs) pardon me, Luke 6, where are you, Luke 6? Uh, There you are, verse 12. He says, now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night to God. Luke chapter 9, verse 18. I bet you can't keep up with me. Luke 9, 18. And it happened as he was alone praying. Now, now notice this. I think, that, I think they joined him in prayer. I'm not just sure, but it, it, it says this. And it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him. And he asked them saying, who do the crowd say that I am? So I don't know if they came and interrupted his prayer life or they said, you know, we need to be praying like Jesus is praying. I don't know. Uh, but I do know when they showed up, he, he stopped praying. So I don't know. But Luke accounts that he's praying. Okay. Then you go to Luke nine twenty eight, same chapter. Look what he says. And it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up to the mountain to pray. So he's doing his best, okay, to get these disciples along even before the last day, okay, or the last week of the life of Christ. (coughs) Pardon me. 
That's not Corona, I promise. We can go through the test if you want. And then, and then if you look over to Luke 11, the chapter we, we were in, okay, if you look or earlier, and then he teaches the model prayer to them because one of the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And so he goes through the model prayer, our Father which art in heaven, and he teaches them. That's not a prayer you just recite like, you know, uh, you know, repetitive praying. It's an outline of prayer, which all of us need to embrace in our life. And then after that, he taught them about the friend at midnight and about asking, seeking, and knocking. And both of those parables or teachings have to do with persistent praying. So through Jesus' ministry with his disciples, they leaned heavenly, uh, uh, the disciples did, on the prayer life of Jesus, but you see them trying to get it, they're trying to understand, and then you fast forward, if you will, to the last week of the life of Christ, the second lesson we see him teaching his disciples is, listen, it's getting down to the nutcracking here. It's getting down to the last week of the life of Christ where you guys are going to have to step it up a little bit. And he's telling them, have faith in God. Have a prayer life that, is, that moves mountains. Have a prayer life that gets things done. You're going to have to have this operational in your life. You can't be hit and miss about your prayer life. It, it, things are about to get serious in a hurry. And so it's up to you. And he's teaching his disciples the vital necessity of a faith-filled, productive, fruitful vine of prayer in our life. Are you with me? And today where we are as a nation, as a community, as a church, we need to embrace the lesson that Jesus was affirming to his disciples that no longer can we rely upon other people's. I used to have people, I remember one time a guy called me at equipment when I was pastoring there. He said, Pastor, can you pray for a friend of mine? I think they're lost. I'm going to go be with them. I just, could you pray for them? I said, I'll tell you what, I'll agree with you. You pray for them right now. Everybody wants somebody else to pray their prayers. And there's, hey, the scripture's true. We agree together in prayer. We did that earlier. But understand something. We can't lean into other people's prayer power. We need to build that prayer power in our own life. We need to come to a place where we're praying faith-filled, spirit-filled, mountain-moving, devil-stomping prayer. Come on now. So let me give you, let me calm down here. Here we go. Let's just look at Luke. Uh, I said Luke. Let's 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 go back to Mark. Mark eleven, verse twenty-two. I'm going to give you five thoughts about this faith-filled prayer life. The first one, obvious: have faith in God. Everybody say, have faith in God. Now, just just pause here a minute. Let me just tell you: the Scripture teaches that in Romans, in fact, in Romans ten seventeen, what does it say? Faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing what the, somebody say the word of God. You know, I had a friend of mine tell me, he said, I don't know if I can hear God. Let me tell you something. You get your nose in the book. You start reading the Bible because it's living and active and sharper than two-edged sword. In fact, when I read through Psalm 91 again, my faith rise, rose. <laughs> did you, did yours a, a moment ago when we began to read the word of the Lord? The word of the Lord is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword in this hour. We need the word of God more than we ever have. Don't, hey, hey, get, get alone with God. Read the word. Faith will rise. In fact, what Paul tells the Ephesians. And he said this, he said, for by grace, you're saved through faith. And that's not even of yourself. It's a gift of God. God has given every one of us a measure of faith. We just need to fan it into flame by reading. What does God say? He says, Hey, have faith in God. Everybody say, have faith in God. Listen, it's the key ingredient to effectual praying. If you want to be effective in your prayers, if you want to move mountains, if you want to, if you want to rebuke devils, see the sick healed and the, and the lame healed and the dead raised, you got to have a, you got to have a mountain moving, faith filled prayer life. 
Now, you got to understand, these are just fishermen he's talking to. These are just common folk he's talking to. He's not talking to the Bible scholars. He's not talking to, to, to those who, who've been to Bible school or cemetery, I mean seminary. He's talking to just common folk. And he said, you, my, you, everybody pointed somebody, you, you, each of us, we've got to have in this last hour a prayer life that moves mountains for God. I have faith in God. In fact, gosh, you already give me liberty, so let me just go over to James here. What does James say? James, and he said, if anyone's sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of what? The prayer of what? Not the prayer of fear. Not the prayer of doubt. Not the prayer of worry. What does God hear when you pray in today? As he hear people of faith, listen, I, I'm on to something this morning. I got so excited this morning. It's the prayer of faith. What does James say? The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. It's the prayer of faith. That's, that's the key ingredient to, to effective, fervent, effective prayer life. You got to have faith in God. Turn around, and tell somebody, look at somebody and say, have faith in God. So here are these disciples on the last week of the life of Christ. He said, let me just, let me just melt it down for you. You got to be men and women of faith. Have faith in God. And then he, then he moves on and, and, and let me give you number two from the context here. Here's the second thing you, you and I need to know about a faith filled prayer life. Faith always moves from the inside out. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his what? He doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. It's not, it's not blab it and grab it. It's not say it and then believe it. It's believe it in your heart, not a mental belief, but a heart belief, something in you that jumps down and says, I know that God is hearing me. I know he answers prayer. I know he has authority over the devil. I know he has authority over sickness. I have faith in God. And it comes from the inside out. Are you with me? He said, doesn't doubt in his heart. That's what we find even in Romans 10 about being born again. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. And so it's an inside job. So for us, what do we do? We, we have to look uh, on the inside of our life and say, Lord, let faith begin to arise in me. Let me tell you something. When you walk out those doors, when you listen to the, the news and when you, when you get on Facebook and you get in social media and you begin to walk into Walmart and just, you go, uh, you know, man, you, you gotta say, I'm having faith in God. I have no fear. Everybody say, no fear. The shortage of toilet paper does not move me. Hallelujah. I'm not moved by what I see. I'm, I'm moved by what I know. Have faith in God. It moves from the inside out. Number three, faith always to be effective. It requires a right heart. Your heart has to be right. Now notice, and I didn't read this on purpose, but here he says, most people stop in verse 24 of Mark chapter 11. Most people stop, ooh, and he will have whatever he say. Hallelujah. I'm going to blab it and grab it. But then verse 25, he says, And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. That your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. How many of you know if you have unforgiveness in your heart, you got something messed up on the inside, your faith has been paralyzed. Your capacity to pray a faith-filled prayer is paralyzed. And what was Jesus saying? You got, it moves from the inside out. You better not be messed up on the inside. You better not have unforgiveness in your life. You better not have sin in your life. If you have sin in your life, you gotta get, you gotta deal with it. In fact, uh, what 
did you know, if you go, if we went back to James chapter five, where he says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And then the next verse he says, if you, hey, if you confess your sins, you gotta be, you gotta get your heart right in all of this process. You can't live with a, a messed up heart and, and live a life of faith-filled prayer. It just doesn't work. Everybody say, that doesn't work. In fact, first Peter chapter three, uh, in reference to husbands and wives, it basically says, husbands and wives, guys, if you've got all against your wife and you, your prayers are hindered, get right with your wife, get right with your husband. Don't let your prayers be hindered. Are you with me? Say amen. And then another thought back in Mark 11 about this faith-filled prayer. It always manifests itself through our mouth. Faith always comes out of your mouth. If you got a heart of faith, if your heart's right and you're full of faith, you can't keep it quiet. He says, look in verse 23. He says, for assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, well, we got to back up. Everybody say, have faith in God. So here's the process. And then you can say to the mountain, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast and seen, doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says, those things he what? It says he got to believe that those things he says. Listen, there's something creative about the word of the Lord. What did God say in the beginning? He spoke it. And we get the word of the Lord and we can speak it. It comes from our heart, okay? We don't doubt in our heart. I rebuke fear and doubt out of my life in Jesus' name. Have faith in God. And I'm going to declare over my family. I'm going to declare. And you speak the word of the Lord and you will. it comes out of your mouth. What's coming out of your mouth? Hey, write this down. Luke 6, 45 uh, it talks about an evil man out of the evil uh, heart speaks what's evil, but a righteous man out of, out of his heart speaks what is, what is good and right. And he says this, either positively or negatively, this is a principle, this is a law of, of, of the universe, if you will. Whatever's on the inside is going to come out of your mouth. How many of you have ever tried to hold something in and finally you just can't... I, I, eventually, unchecked, it'll come out of our mouth. And Jesus said this about, he said this, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so, especially in this season, our words have power to create and they have power to curse. Our words, hey, listen, our words open the door for things. Or our words close the door on things. Are you with me? We put a guard over our words, but let me tell you something we don't guard. We speak faith. I speak faith today. I'm not going to speak the words of fear. I'm not going to speak the words of doubt. I love Sister Mary. Y'all never knew Sister Mary. Sister Mary, oh, she was a pew-jumping Pentecostal lady in my church. I had to keep a rope on her. She was wow. And she got she got uh, a diagnosed with breast cancer, and she ended up having surgery, and boy, she she went through all kinds of trouble, but she continued to say, I'm healed and made whole in the name of the Lord. She never spoke the word cancer in one time in her life, even through the trouble. She said, I'm, I said, how you doing, Mary? I'm healed and made whole in the name of Jesus. And she went back to her doctor and, and, and all those tests you go through. The doctor says, Sister Mary, we can't find that, that C word in your body anymore. She said, I know because I'm healed and made whole in the name of the Lord. It's not just what you say, but it comes out of your mouth when it's in your heart. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. David prayed this prayer, Psalm 19, verse 14. He said this, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. See, they're linked. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. The Lord Jesus, you be saved. David said, he knew it even before uh, Paul wrote it in Romans, that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart are linked up. And he said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Think about this. 
Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your hearing. No. Come on, let me blow your mind a second. When we speak words, when God hears them, there's more substance to them than just what he can hear with his ear. He sees things based on what we say. And David said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. There's things that are created into uh, into the atmosphere by our words and God sees them before we ever even know. Faith always manifests itself through our mouth. And then number five, here we go. Faith always or is always activated by our actions. Throughout Scripture, what you see many times over is that God is waiting upon us to activate our faith. And even in this passage of Scripture, have faith in God, for assuredly I say to you, whoever meditates about it, thinks about it, no, they got to meditate and think about it. They got to deal with their heart and get and get doubt out of their heart, but they got to eventually say it. And when we say it, it becomes creative. Sister Mary kept saying it. And God looked down and said, I see it. You're saying it. I'm seeing it. And in a sense, he said, and so be it. I think of the woman with the issue of blood. She spent all she had on doctors, couldn't get it fixed. I thank God for doctors. Jana, thank you for being a doctor. I thank God for doctors. There's some things doctors cannot do. And this woman spent all her money on doctors, and she heard Jesus was coming by. She evidently had heard some preaching. She had her and her faith, and she said this, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know I'll be healed. I don't know how she got a hold of that. I don't know where that came from. Maybe she had heard. Maybe she had seen. Maybe she had witnessed Jesus touching people. And she said, well, you know what? If he's full of, full of healing and wholeness, if I could just touch him. And, you know, Jesus is walking along, and, and, and she touched, everybody's touching him, but she touched him. Boom, she was healed. And Jesus whipped around and said, who touched me? I felt something. The disciples said, oh, Jesus, everybody's touching you. What are you talking about? He said, no, somebody touched me in a way nobody else was touching me. Somebody touched me in faith. And, and she, and the, I could just see her shaking. And, 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 she said, and she told the story. And he said, oh, your faith has made you whole. Whose faith? Not Jesus' faith. Not, certainly not the disciples' faith. This little woman's faith went into play. She reached out and touched him. I'm going to tell you, your faith will sit idle and dormant until you get up and do something. And activate the faith. Amen. Here's the way you obey the word of the Lord. Disobedience to God stifles the capacity of God to answer our prayers. Are you with me? Say amen. And so today over our family, over our church, over our missionaries, over our sister churches and people all over the globe, we stand in faith. Jesus with his disciples. I I love you. Follow through with these guys. Jesus had died. They had denied the Lord. They'd blown it, resurrected Christ, walks back in their life, and poor old doubting Thomas, he missed all those messages. Jesus said, just just touch, here I am. Thomas finally got it, he just, he didn't say, okay, he said, my Lord, my God, (laughs) what was I thinking? Just a few days later, 
month and a half because Jesus, the resurrected Christ, stayed with them 40 days. And he ascended back and went back to Bethany, the house of figs. If you, if you weren't here last week, you wonder, what's he talking about? Up onto the Mount of Olives, and he ascended into heaven, and the Scripture says he's coming back right there. And just days later, the Holy Spirit is poured out on this ragtag team who had just denied the Lord and been through a problem, but then been restored to ministry and recovered their faith. And Peter stands up full of the Holy Ghost and boldly proclaims the word of the Lord. Thousands of people are born again. Listen, this is the church's finest hour. We are the light of the world. A city set on a hill. Listen, I've always said this, and I'm going to say it again. I believe there'll come a day, and I believe that we're nigh at the door. Everybody think, you know, everybody wants Jesus to come, but they want to skip the last days. We're going to talk about that, by the way, because one of the big lessons of life, uh, maybe next Sunday, one of the big, one of the last minute lessons with these disciples uh, is, hey, hey, I'm coming back. I'm going to come back. In the last days, there'll be pestilence, wars, and rumors of wars. Oh, my. No, it's the church's finest hour. We get a little pestilence showing up, and everybody gets scared and runs by a toilet paper. <laughs> can, can you see Jesus looking down at the church? Uh, now, I appreciate toilet paper, but listen, that's not our top priority. I don't even need to go there, do I? Probably. <laughs> We're the light of the world. <laughs> Pardon me. This just hit me. All these little lights running around Walmart. Toilet paper, toilet paper, toilet paper. No. Jesus, have faith in God. Everybody say, have faith in God. Jesus took his disciples. I know you're going to need this, guys. You're going to need a mountain moving, devil stomping, faith-filled prayer life in these last days. And you say, well, last days, did you know when church was born on Pentecost Sunday, the hourglass of God was turned upside down, and and we moved into a biblical uh, 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 dispensation of the last days. Did you know we're living in the last days? Come on, you know we're living in the last days. You say, well, they've been saying that. Every- yeah, but Jesus said the word of the Lord. Joel the prophet said, in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. We're living in the last days. Oh, my goodness, signs of the times. It's our finest hour. Let's stand up together. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, may this word that you have shared with us today build our faith even more. May we go from this place not fearful, not full of doubt, but full of faith. And may the light of God shine through us in the marketplace, in the workplace, wherever we go, Lord. We will not fear. We have faith in God. May our prayer life move mountains today. May our prayer life join with the prayer lives, Lord, of people all over this nation and around this world. Move this mountain of sickness out of our midst. In Jesus' name. Let's just worship him a little bit. Man, just turn that up a little bit. Let us just worship. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We worship you today, God. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, we love you, Jesus. 
Place your hands on your heart. Just say, Lord, I'm not going to have doubt in my heart. No doubt in my heart. Lord, I forgive anyone who may have done me wrong or who I have an offense against. I choose to forgive. Cleanse our hearts from unforgiveness, fear, and doubt so we can be men and women of great faith at the place of prayer. In Jesus' name. watching by way of Facebook Live, listen, have faith in God. Let me say to all of us, even to those who may be watching, if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you've never given your life to Christ, that's where it all begins. You have to just believe in Him and yield your life to Him. If you confess Him because you have faith in your heart, God gave you a measure of faith. If you've never given your life to Christ, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. In other words, you submit your life to him and believe in your, uh uh-oh, here it is, your heart that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. So if you're not a Christian today, all you have to do is put your faith and trust in him and his finished work on Calvary's cross. You see, when he died for you and rose again, he did so so we could all have a new life and be born again. Let's just pray together. How many of you know someone who needs to be born again? Come on, how many of you know somebody needs to be born again? If you're listening today, if you're here today and you need to be born again, let's pray together. Let's agree together for them. Lord, right now, Lord Jesus, we pray for those who that we know that may be lost and even those we don't know. We pray, God, you would speak to them. And Lord, we thank you, Lord God, that Lord, they have the capacity by your mercy and grace to be born again. I want everyone to pray this prayer along with anyone in this room who may be lost or those listening by way of Facebook Live who may be lost. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you. I thank you that you died for me on a cross, that you paid the price for my sin with your own blood. I believe that. I put my trust in you. I yield my life to you. I confess you as my Lord and the leader of my life. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time from your heart, you're now his child. Amen. Let's give the Lord of glory some praise today. God bless you today. Thank you so much. Hey, you're the light of the world. Let your light shine. And Wednesday night, we'll be right here in Genesis. And it's been good. I'm telling you, Genesis has been good from 7 to about 8.15. Uh, and so, hey, uh, love God, love others, and let the light of Christ shine. Have faith in God. We'll see you next Sunday. Amen.